to Supernatural Selection. I'm your host, Kevin the Bastard. This week is Mike the Skeptic. Mike, how you doing, buddy? Um, I'm good, I guess. Okay. Nothing. I'm not working any major issues. Awesome. And uh, also, we have got Mr. David Davis. David, how are you doing this week? I own a puppet now. Oh, you said you were going to get a puppet. Tell me about the puppet. Tell me about your finger puppet. Uh, so the puppet isn't, uh, it, it's going to need some work. Mm-hmm. It uh, has a lot of long blonde hair. Uh, it, it's got like the Muppet style quality, like Sesame Street kind of thing. Okay. So I'm going to be able to yeah. uh, to modify it a little bit. Oh, that's cool. So, so is it is it a, it's, it's not a string puppet. It's a wear on your hand puppet. Yeah, the the it, one thing that is missing it is missing a rod for the hand. Mm. Like there there was no rod attached to it, so I'm gonna have to attach one. You but can get that those, way. I'll actually. be able to maybe do some. Yeah, I mean it's it's I can just use like a freaking barbecue skewer or something like that. But no, like I just uh, I want to do some stuff with a puppet, and it's a pretty good puppet base to work with. Okay, so yeah, that's cool. Man, yep. boy, how many people do I know now that are gonna be dealing with puppets? That's crazy. Uh, yeah and i've got you know tom servo he's a puppet so yeah there you go awesome there you go you're puppetless you need to fix that um and we're going to dragon con so like kevin i have you you're my puppet oh no (laughs) oh just wash your hands first yeah we're we're going to dragon con which is in atlanta which has the uh what is it called again the center for puppetry yeah something. something like that it's got yeah some international center for puppetry or something like that and there's like a huge puppet track at a dragon con so that's really kind of i'm kind of interested i want to see what kind of puppets they may have for sale there and then come back with wasted money well we could do an entire puppet episode of supernatural selection we'd have to do uh like video then yeah there's there's a puppetry (laughs) museum in the center for puppetry arts in atlanta that's so cool yeah i'm excited I love puppets, man. Puppets are great. I know. Same here. I really like puppets. Um, it's the uh, United States' largest organization dedicated to the art form of puppetry. Man, Hell there's yeah. going to be a fucking bronze statue of Jim Henson out front. Yeah. Because you don't get much bigger than Jim Henson in the world of puppets. Yeah, and when you say puppets, you know, Jim Henson's kind of like the guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean... Yeah, it's and what's a Muppet? It's not a mop and it's not a puppet, but oh boy. <laughs> I appreciate that reference. Yes, I'm glad you did. So uh, we are covering a really interesting topic this week. It is our, It is our first actual object that exists. Mm-hmm. Um, we're doing the, it's pronounced Voynich, correct? The yes, Voynich yes, the... Manuscript. Mm-hmm. Which yeah, I, and I'm... Yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, no, go ahead. I was just going to say, I've been familiar with this thing for years, and I'm excited to be, to be talking about it. And you, of course, have done your amazing research as usual. I appreciate that. Yeah, and I, it's going to be neat because this is what I hope is the first of many episodes about, like, artifacts and unexplained objects. Yeah, this is going to be great. Mike, you were going to say something? Uh, not really. Okay, well, uh, <laughs> book nerds, get your seatbelts on. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then I believe we're also going to be posting the, uh, script to the episode when it goes up as well. So you'll be able yeah. to go through and see all the, uh, the, you'll see the outline, you'll see all the little jokes put in and everything like that. So 
Yeah, so what I'm thinking is that's kind of going to be our show notes from here on in. We'll have mm-hmm. a link to our script, which has, uh, you know, links to stuff in there. And, you know, you can get an idea of what kind of research goes in and what part of this is improv. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because believe it or not, a lot of this is researched. Yes. Yes, shockingly so. <laughs> so, David, uh, why, don't you, why don't you fire this thing up for us? Okay, all right, so let's go and dive into this thing called the Voynich Manuscript. Yes. So, the Voynich Manuscript, in the most basic description I can muster, is a 15th century tome filled with trippy, surrealistic imagery and presented in what appears to be a wholly original language. Now, there are some people who argue against this, but enough language experts have actually looked at it that it shows all signs of real language. And uh, I'm willing to believe that. Yeah, we're going to look at the complicated history of analysis regarding this manuscript, because like a lot of very, very intelligent people have been like coming at this thing from all sorts of different angles. And we still have no idea what the hell it is. That's very true. We have no we're still no closer to knowing what this thing is written in. Right. Now, the thing is, there has still not been an agreed upon translation of the text within this time. And as we'll see. Many translations of the years uh, have been claimed, but they just do not accomplish this. It's still inscrutable, even today. Now, I don't know if you're going to bring this up, but uh, did you know that a lot of people say it's uh, Hebrew? And uh, mm-hmm. every time they say that, it's wrong. And again, it always comes back to the Jews. Well, and, and, you know, this is interesting because we're going to see many of those claims today when I go over kind of the history of how people are approaching this text. Oh, good. But, um, like, it, it's entirely possible that it could be a form of Hebrew. Um, there, we'll, we'll talk about how someone had posited that theory in, like, 2020, and then two weeks later, someone came out and, like, no, that's incorrect, here's why. <laughs> so, yes. Um, yeah, we're, we have uh, the latest update to this this process of exploring this text uh was in august of 2021 actually Holy so crap. we're pretty yeah people are still at this thing jesus we're almost topical right Mm-hmm. yeah we're only a year away okay so for my sources today and yes i have sources they're <laughs> going to range from a scan of the manuscript itself which uh, I have in the article or in the outline so you guys can click it and take a look at it. Um, mm-hmm. I believe I had you two gentlemen take a good look at it today as well. Which I've been through it a few times, so yes. Yeah. Um, and then I'm also going to be using some articles that discuss the history and the attempts to crack the code of what the hell the book is. And I'm just going to kind of mention the sources as we go. Now, before we go into this, Mike, what do you, uh, what have you known about this thing? Um, so I know it exists. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, we've I, covered that. I know uh, it's a mysterious book. I don't rightly remember like what era it's from, but I do know it was like, you know, nobody really knows anything about its origins, who wrote it, what language it's in, what it's describing, what it's even about. I mean, there's pictures in it, it, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. they don't really show anything known on this plane of reality. Well, Well, and and it's interesting because, 
there's there's definitely elements like you know everybody talks about how alien the plants are and to a degree there is an alien nature to them but you'll also see in some sections of the books it's literally just different plant parts from different plants combined right which is interesting um so you know regarding the manuscript here is what we know pretty conclusively thanks to codicologists that is a really big word for book nerds Mm-hmm. Yep. People who study uh, ancient books, I believe. So, hmm. based on the archival notes at Yale's Beneke Rare Book and Manuscript Library, the Voynich Manuscript, sometimes known as the Cipher Manuscript, likely originated in Central Europe. Okay. Now, the publication or creation is assumed to be between the dates of 1491 to 1599 CE, with the general estimate being somewhere in the 15th century, like the latter part of the 15th right. century. So, like, <clears throat> yeah, like you said, around the 15, uh, 1490s. Right. Yeah. Now, based on some of the evidence, this may have been written in Italy during the Italian Renaissance. Well, that's when, you know, smart people had money and time to do that sort of thing. So that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Right, Mike? Yep. Yeah. So the current page count of the manuscript is around 240 pages, though that depends on how one might count the folding elements. Hmm. Uh, because it does have a couple of essentially centerfolds, basically. Oh, <laughs> um, boy. <laughs> it is likely, however, that the document at some point had close to 200 or 270 or so pages in 20 choirs, uh, choirs being a measurement of uh, 25 sheets or so around the same size. Okay. Uh, it can depend on the type of book and everything like that. Um, but it seems that some of those pages have been lost over the years. So we have that idea of what a choir is, which is a bundle of like 25 pages or so. Mm -hmm. Typically, during the Middle Ages, a choir was the gathering of four folded sheets of vellum or parchment, which would equal about eight leaves and 16 sides. Okay, so basically an ash can for yeah, those making Yeah, if comics. you've ever had to make your own little book, you know, you fold the sheets, you cut the top, that sort of thing. Right. Now, I don't want to spend too much time on old bookmaking, as interesting as it is. Oh, that's um, a, that's I, I think a Patreon it, episode right there. Right. I, I think it's fascinating. But if you're curious, I found my information from the University of Nottingham. Um, just Google parchment choir and check the first result. And that's Q-U-I-R-E. Yeah, I was just about to say. Spell that mm -hmm. for us. Now, another point about this. Codicologists know about the estimated 270 pages due to the numbering within the text and the gaps in the established numbering system on the right-hand pages. So huh. this thing does have pagination. Right. And so there are these suggestions that, at least in a few points in its history, the book may have been reordered, as in the book may have been unstitched and had pages moved around. Goddamn Council of Nicaea can't leave anything alone. Council of Nicaea ain't nothing to fuck with. <laughs> Um, <laughs> so, so we're not necessarily dealing with a great deal of accuracy regarding the book's true nature due to centuries of potential editing. Um, for example, there are some cases of images being touched up, like with the darkening of some fading illustrations. Okay, Mike, I want you to imagine something about this. All right. It's talking about being touched up. Now imagine the lady that did monkey Jesus got a hold of this being felt up. <laughs> yes. I love that painting. I swear. <laughs> oh, monkey Jesus. <laughs> oh, praise our Lord and Savior, the monkey Jesus. 
Now, now I could go on about the book's physical characteristics because there's been exhaustive studies about it. Yeah. Um, as much as I'd like to, that would take up too much time. So here are some highlights about some of these physical characteristics. First, some parts of the manuscript were radiocarbon dated at the University of Arizona in 2009, indicating a date in the early half of the 15th century. Right. Mike, what can you tell us about radiocarbon dating? Okay, so I read the Wikipedia article. I mean, I knew what, I generally knew <laughs> yeah. what it was, but yeah. the specifics. Um, mm -hmm. So, as it obviously sounds, it... Uh, it is using uh, the isotope, the radioactive isotope of carbon, carbon-14, to determine the date of something. Now, it only pertains to organic things, plants or animals, uh -huh. because what it is is cosmic rays hit, you know, when they hit our atmosphere, they turn a small percentage of the carbon dioxide in the atmosphere to uh, carbon-14. And that is in, taken in by plants and animals— and as a plant or animal is alive, it it has pretty much the same amount of carbon-14 in it as the atmosphere. But once it dies, it stops all intake of carbon-14. Right. And since it's a radioactive particle, it starts to uh, decay. And they use the half-life of the uh, carbon-14 and in relation to the overall amount of carbon to determine the age, since everything decay, everything radioactive decays at a known rate. Mm -hmm. The problems do come in, though, because uh, there are variations, like the amount of carbon in the carbon-14 in the atmosphere isn't always the same. Mm -hmm. So, in fact, uh, in the modern age, uh, industrialization and the burning of fossil fuels has put a lot more unradioactive carbon into the atmosphere so obviously the le something with lower amounts of carbon 14 looks older well mm -hmm. plants and animals today if you just used a you know broad you know set for everything would look older based on the carbon 14 because we have less carbon 14 in our in us interesting but also due to uh nuclear testing that also puts spikes of carbon 14. So they have to, <laughs> mm -hmm. so they've had to like, you know, recalibrate as it goes. But so when they first started, they used a uh, known things of known age, which were mostly in Egypt, e you know, Egyptian things, but they started to see some variations because at first everything lined up, but then things started not lining up. And so they're like, well, which was real, which the, you know, chronologically dated Egyptian artifacts or the radiocarbon. So they started using uh, tree rings since we can get mm. up to like, I think it said 15,000 years hmm. of, uh, of data from that. And so they're able to model, you know, how much carbon was in the atmosphere in certain eras and use that as the template to say, you know, when something was, uh, when they radiocarbon date something. So they can take that, that into account while. Exactly. Okay. So it's like, okay, well, during this period, there was this much in the atmosphere. So we have to adjust our estimates. Yeah. And okay. So 
It is a the half life of carbon is five thousand seven hundred thirty years plus or minus forty years, so that gives us an approximate useful time of fifty thousand mm-hmm. years that we can that we can radiocarbon date something okay. back to. Okay, well, I mean, that sounds like that is a I, I'm not going to say perfectly accurate, but a, a fairly accurate assessment of like something such as this book then. Yeah. So like yeah. within say 40 years of accuracy on the age of this book. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. No, that's perfect. All right. So uh, that, that test was conducted in 2009. Um, another thing to note, you were talking about how it's a uh, plant and uh, animal matter, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So the vellum is likely calf skin. Yeah. And, Testing suggests at least 14 to 15 total calf skins were used in the book's creation. Now, I dug up this information in a 2017 edition of the New York Book, uh, New York Review of Books Journal, which I found on a database that I have access to through the college that I work at. Well, that is, um, that's a hell of a thing to include in a review. <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, so like 14 to 15 baby cows died for this book. Okay, I want so. everyone to remember that. <laughs> so um lastly this thing has probably had at least two covers um one cover was made of goat skin likely used while in possession of um or while it was in the possession of the collegio romano um which was first established in the 16th century was that ray now, romano's brother oh <laughs> his brother from italy oh um, everybody loves collegio <laughs> Um, so judging by some insect holes in the first and end folios of the current manuscript as it exists right now, there is sufficient evidence to suggest that it had a wooden cover at some point as well. This is truly the mm -hmm. Noah's Ark of books. Right. There's just so much data about this fucking thing. Yeah. And (laughs) so many animals died for this book. (laughs) Mm-hmm. So um, I picked up this last bit of information about the covers from an independent researcher whose background is not in medievalism, but rather he's a guy with a Ph.D. in orbital sciences, um, Rene Zanbergen. Okay. But he, he put together quite a, a great website. So I found the overall quality of, uh, that he put into the research and the depth of his references to make the site an invaluable resource. And if you want to view the work he's done, you could do that at voynich.nu. Again, you can check out this script. There will be links to the things we mentioned. So I had mm-hmm. an interesting thought. So you said originally, so it's vellum of calf skin mm-hmm. and probably mm-hmm. a wooden cover. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's completely backwards from how we do books today with leather covers and <laughs> right? paper. Shit, pages. you're right. <laughs> Holy crap. We've been yep, doing it wrong so- all this time. I gotta go right on a cow. <laughs> and it's and just, it's very it weird. It is. I just find it funny <laughs> that over the years it just flip flopped. Yeah, it's like um that that movie uh, the the new Buzz Lightyear movie that came out. They had like a reverse sandwich where like he oh, goes yeah. into the future. Yeah, and then it's like the the sandwich, the meat sandwich, where the meat is the bread. <laughs> and just like they, one slice of bread in the middle. Didn't they do that on <laughs> Ren and Stimpy? They had like the. The toasted meat sandwich with meat in the middle. I remember getting one of those from KFC. That was a double, double down. down. It's a yeah. fucking nightmare of a sandwich. That was, that was awesome. And I no, know nothing it, else. It wasn't. It was too salty. Uh, mine wasn't that salty. 
I'm yeah. Just, I don't think they liked you, David. I think they added the special sauce. <laughs> it, was, it was basically it was basically chicken cordon bleu, but in a sandwich form. Yeah, the most More red like chicken cordon bleu. <laughs> nice. <laughs> okay, so um, I, w- I want to take a moment here to discuss something that I'm finding very interesting. We've covered many characteristics. Um, and we've seen like tested and observed characteristics of a physical object. And this is like one of the few times we've had any of this in our topics. Right. This is one of the most verifiable mysteries we've covered with a greater volume of evidence. And that's because it's an actual fucking object that fucking exists. (laughs) I know. It's like, I, I don't know. It's so weird to like talk about something that's actually there that didn't destroy a bridge. (laughs) <laughs> exactly and you know and there there are other objects out there so i'm hoping we'll be able to do some more of these like for example uh i know that i have one that i'm interested in but uh can you guys think of any like objects that you want to cover the yeah. sorry go ahead mike what were you gonna say i was gonna say the device. device yeah that's what i was gonna say okay that or the dropa stones yeah, I, I was thinking of that column in uh india oh. Ooh, the one made of Pakistan. iron yeah no, it's in india that, yeah like, does not rust at all. Yeah, it's like 2,000, 3,000 years old, and it's never rusted, and it's like intricately carved and made of one piece. Yeah, so, you know, yeah. I think there's a potential for a lot of these, but, like, it's just, it's interesting, like, of all the things that we have covered and that we are going to cover, like, this thing is a thing that actually exists. Yeah, so, you, like, could, you can... Sorry, go ahead, Mike. I thought of another one, but... Uh, What's that? Up until this year, the Georgia Guidestones. Oh, shit. Mm. You know, yeah, we, could we could still talk about memoriam. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But but they don't exist anymore. Yeah, I know, but they did. But the uh, the thing, yeah, no. The, so you say. The Voyage, Voynich, I keep saying Voynich in my head, but mm-hmm. it's Voynich manuscript mm-hmm. is real. You can go out there and lick it. Mm. Oh, I, I don't know security. if you could do that because I've had to go to special collections at a library and they will like eyeball you if you open up your mouth near something that's rare and old. <laughs> so <laughs> you prob- Close your mouth. <laughs> probably have to wear like gloves and mm-hmm. a body suit. Yeah. I'll put a condom, condom on my tongue. Wait, uh, w- w- one of the colleges I went to had a massive collection of like old sci-fi collected from like the 1920s. And in order to see a couple of the volumes of stuff they had there, I actually had to go in there and, like, wear gloves and shit. Yeah. yeah. So, oh, man, yeah. you must have felt like a Dan Brown character. It, it, it was really nice, but it was, like, an old issue, or it was, like, an old collection of, like, amazing tales or whatever. Just, like... Oh, man. Oh. God, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, like, I think we have enough about, like, the fact that, like, okay, we can all agree that this is a thing that exists. Yeah. <laughs> There's too much information at this point to. <laughs> There's to too argue, many pictures no, and scans and. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, well, you know the moon. According to the, uh, you know, hologram theory of. God damn it! <laughs> shit. Nothing really exists. God damn it! Look, I didn't know we had Clark over there. Nah, no. Clark is like a firm believer in that we're we're in the simulation. Well, this is—I'm mm-hmm. talking about just the the, the hologram. Oh, the, right, yeah. The, the multi-dimension mm. representing okay. as three-dimension. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I hate that theory. Let's move on. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. does melt your brain. <laughs> yeah, I, and I'm not drinking, so let yeah. All right, uh, that's fair. Let's go ahead and start moving into like theories and such. Yeah. Now, 
in that regard, I include the content on, uh, you know, what is actually in the book, because with so much of this book being a mystery, the things seen on the page are subject to interpretation. Mm -hmm. Now, I quote the Beneke Library of Yale's overview of the content here. So from here on, I'm direct quoting for a little bit. All right. All right. Based on the subject matter of the drawings, the contents of the manuscript fall into six sections. One, botanicals containing drawings of 113 unidentified plant species. I'm, I'm going to butt in here because looking through them, um, most of them look like marijuana. <laughs> I wasn't going to say anything, but yeah. Well, and you know, I have a theory about that. So yes, we'll I'm that sure you do. Yep. Um, two, astronomical and astrological drawings, including astral charts with radiating circles, suns and moons, zodiac symbols such as fish for Pisces, a bull for Taurus and an archer for Sagittarius, nude females emerging from pipes or chimneys and courtly figures. Mike, are there a lot of nude ladies in space? I haven't gotten to that part yet, so... Uh... <laughs> but he's as seriously a, flipping through the virtual click, version. Click, 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 click. So let me just ask you though, uh, in space, yeah. as as a fan of science, mm -hmm. a lot of naked chicks up there. Um, well, I mean, everyone's naked under their clothes. Well, so sure, and we are in space, just on a planet. Man, that I mean, sounds like some of those archival strange tales books but, that I was looking at. But yeah. as far as as cosmological nude figures no there's not many well that sucks maybe maybe the john the james west space telescope will find us some but <laughs> none be, so far we found a, a galactic hot spring yeah yeah <laughs> we found an entire section of space it's just, just filled packed to the brim with naked women just you know <laughs> nude beach goddesses out there Imagine how much <laughs> imagine how much money the space program would get. Oh my god. That. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, God, it was like ten year olds Congress would be there in a heartbeat. Oh. Ooh. oh. Yep. Ooh. I just got us killed. <laughs> Sorry, we gotta we gotta We're gonna get Arkansided. Arkansided. That's what yep. that's the term I was looking for. <laughs> yep. Well, all right. So um number three. A biological section containing a myriad of drawings of miniature female nudes, most with swelled abdomens, immersed or waiting in fluids and oddly interacting with interconnecting tubes and capsules. A new Disney water park is coming along real good. <laughs> uh, four, an elaborate array of nine cosmological medallions, many drawn across several folded folios and depicting possible geographical forms. Five, pharmaceutical drawings of over 100 different species of medicinal herbs and roots portrayed with jars or vessels in red, blue, or green. And six, continuous pages of text, possibly recipes, with star-like flowers marking each entry in the margins. A lot of drawings in this thing matches up with the idea of medieval illuminated books where monks would doodle in the margins and that's cool but i am going to admit to being a little bit sad at the lack of battle snails <laughs> mm -hmm. uh yeah manuscript snails are absolutely fantastic and i advise every listener to google them right now because <laughs> it's going to make your day yeah seriously that and the amount of farts mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, in most medieval manuscripts is 
truly staggering. Yeah, more farts in those manuscripts than a letter from James Joyce to his wife. Oh, <laughs> man. Nice. I know that, just that enough boy to know loved his a, farts. I know just enough to know that's a deep cut. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so end quote there. Um, so, so far we have a somewhat kinky book made up of uh, made up languages, uh, or a made up language referred to as Voynichese. Featuring what seem to be alien plants, unusual interpretations of astrological and astronomical illustrations, a pharmacy guide, and what might be a cookbook. Which, that's friggin' awesome. I mean, I just really hope it's, you know, good food, you know. Right. Um, so again, I want to emphasize that this is a very real thing you can look at and presumably touch in a library archive. You can get your fill of nude BBWs and funky tubes and tubs and look at some <laughs> potentially made up plants at Yale University. <laughs> Keywords on Pornhub, I'm sure. <laughs> she not just thick, she Voynich thick. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's, uh, that's a new, uh, like Cardi B song or something, right? <laughs> I would be amazed if that was a thing. Voynich so, thick. Yeah. Voynich thick. Uh, okay. So, so part of this weirdness is that, uh, like in the text itself, the Voynichese, which is indecipherable, but paradoxically seems to indicate the elements you would expect to see in a legitimate printed form of language. Okay. Now, I'm just going to throw this in there. And, Mike, you, you know what I'm talking about here. What if this is like twin speak, like in Nell? Where, like, if you could read it, it just says, Aren't you about your chicka pay? <clears throat> I'm sorry. I just, I love Nell, and I always think about Twin Speak when it's indecipherable stuff. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, the thing is, there are periodic Latin words, but who knows what they are? Nobody does. Fair. Okay, the, the Voynichese is a script that's written from left to right, and most characters tend to be written in one to two strokes. The study of the characters has shown at least 20 to 25 distinct characters, though there could be more, but the handwriting sometimes makes these characters overly identical or hard to discern. Oh, great. So it's going to turn out this whole thing is just in German or something. The guy had poor penmanship. There, there is a German signature in there at some point as well, but it seems to have come in much, much later in the existence of the book. Now, here's one of the issues. There is no apparent punctuation oh. in the, the written portion. Oh, it's like E.E. E. Cummings. Now, was that Cummings or Goings? Uh, that is terrible is what that is. You, sir, need a timeout. <laughs> uh, nope. Got to read the episode. So. Okay. Yeah. Now, I'm, one. There, there, yeah, well, yes, Mike. Gonna say I'm looking at a section, a thick section of a uh, text, mm -hmm. and yeah, so I'm seeing like three what look like words that are exactly the same words repeated. Mm -hmm. Like so, there's like three of one word, and then the next word that looks like it's repeated thrice. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's they're almost well okay that one doesn't have a little thing but those two definitely have things you can't see what i'm no but, <laughs> but but yeah no they just seem there seems to be a lot of repetition of but words. you know depending on written language of, there is like a lot of repetition in certain letter forms as well and there it could just be him talking about the naked ladies going there hot 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 <laughs> yeah but this would be hot 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 there 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 i don't know maybe i don't know 
you know, your guess is as good as everybody else's because everybody else who's tried this thing has not fucking figured it out. It's true. I mean, okay, so there are naked ladies on this page. See? Paradox. (laughs) I I wasn't lying to you. There was nudity. (laughs) And and they're not hot, though, is the problem. Well, they were to him. (laughs) So so there's a naked lady under, like, an umbrella of water. Mm -hmm. There's a naked lady holding a vagina plant. (laughs) There's a naked lady standing on a wave. Okay. There's a naked lady falling into a cone wave. Well, we Mm -hmm. did say it's a lot of women in fluids. Tubes and tubs. Tubes and And tubs. He liked his ladies kind of thick, too. Well, Mm -hmm. he said voynich thick. Voynich thick. Um, But with, like, weirdly lumpy arms. Oh, we're we're gonna talk more about the nude ladies. Don't worry, my friend. <laughs> oh yes, Let's don't don't, nude don't worry, my friend. We'll come back to this. Now, now regarding like the characters, you know, the fact that they take up about two strokes, which is about average for a character in someone's handwriting. That there's probably twenty to twenty six characters and that sort of thing. Um, there's probably one question on your mind after hearing all of this about the script. Mm-hmm. Could this be a cipher? What do you think? Mm. Yeah, kind of maybe. I've got a theory, but we'll get to my theory later. Okay. Um, I don't know. I mean, really looking at it, seeing how much stuff is repeated, like, like, I'm not talking about, like, letters. I'm talking about what looks like full words. Mm -hmm. I mean, it really just looks like, it looks like when I used to have to, like, write things as punishment. (laughs) <laughs> it's just like oh repeated my over and over like well that's a new theory yeah well and then you know like i i am not good at cursive uh, i'll just straight yeah. up say that like when i do a signature <laughs> i literally have like a weird loop and then just like some little jagged lines yeah same and a lot of the writing feels like that where it's like for someone who knows their own letters and handwriting mm-hmm. it would be decipherable to them but to me it, it makes no sense right also, all the words seem to be, well, okay, there are some three-letter words, but they all seem to be like five or six, depending, I don't know. There's this thing that looks like kind of like two Ps back-to-back. It's like an H, but with loops at the top, I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Seems to come up, come up a lot, like a lot, a lot, like pretty much every, like two out of five words has that letter in it. Well, and it, it, you know, if, if we're going to go like deep into this, it could be that like maybe this maybe this language, if it is a language, has fewer vowels and they just repeat the the vowels and the context changes based on the, the consonants around the vowels. Yeah, but I don't know so if that, that. Yeah, if that double letter is at one letter or two letters, but they all seem to be about five or six letters long. There's no like really mm-hmm. long words and very few really short. In fact. All the short words seem to be at the the end of a row, not a sentence, but like like if you look at one row, it'll be big word, big word, big word, big word, and like has to fill out the end of the 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 row, so it's like a three letter word. <laughs> it's literally then, justified text. Yeah, it's justified by putting in shorter words. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, there are some so- in the middle, but. I see a yeah, lot it's of just, lines it's, it's, that have just... You can see why it's so bizarre and everybody's so mm-hmm. interested in it, though. It's yeah, just I mean, weird. if you found meaning in it, it'd be... Heck, this would be like... Right. This would make you, if you're a... Uh, if you... Yeah, if you actually deciphered this shit. 
if you in whatever any discipline like either you know studying books themselves or you know codes or whatever if you were able to decipher this that would just or language mm. if you were a language person or a cryptographer yeah this, mm-hmm. this would make your yeah. uh your we're, career and if i'm not mistaken we're going to talk about people's careers with this correct yeah, yeah uh teaser teaser for later like it gets crazy how many people and there's some pretty big names attached to this as well um yeah. some very foundational people in the world of uh cryptograms and uh cryptography and that sort of thing you're right. So, Doesn't surprise me. Now, I'm just yep. going to say one thing about the ladies' drawings before we actually move on. <laughs> uh, and I apologize for interrupting. I just want to say that all the drawings of ladies, when you do look at them, it looks like your octogenarian grandfather was horny. <laughs> and he yeah. had no drawing talent. He, yeah, he owned the only woman he knew was his, his wife. So just, it's just grandma. Just all the grandma in bathtubs. <laughs> so he, um uh, he looked at the nursing home shower oh, <laughs> oh you owe me rum for that my friend all right so you know the, the question could this be a cipher the evidence suggests probably not again yeah. this is I'm going right. nips no. <laughs> right, right. Uh, again this is going nips deep into a field i have no experience with Still, based on the evidence from the experts, there are no signs of errors or corrections within the writing, nor are there any unusual spacings present that indicate the act of enciphering. David? Have you ever done a cipher? Yes. Yes, Kevin. Please don't say nips. (laughs) You know what? This is my vengeance for PP from last time. (laughs) Okay, that's fair. The PP in the down there. Okay. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Um, But yeah, like, have you ever tried to do a cipher? Like, handwrite one? Yeah, I've uh, fucked them up real bad. Mm-hmm. Mike, yeah, there's Mike, have you a bit. Okay. Yeah, so the, the signs of like an active cipher going on just do not seem to be present in the construction of the text. Like mm-hmm. all the letter forms seem pretty close. There's not a lot of areas where there's uh like a sign of correction or anything like that. So there is Latin in the text, but I don't really see much significance in its inclusion. I'd advise looking this up yourself, but I think those are probably additions made over time as opposed to the original author's intent, whoever they are. But again, it's nearly impossible to tell because you can only backdate some of these things for so far. Right. Now, we'll get into theories about the text and the deciphering it soon, but I want to talk about the illustrations a little bit. So this is oh. where we're going to get more about the naked ladies. Okay, yeah, let's please dive into that, no pun intended, with the pools and stuff. <laughs> so the illustrations are essential to our very little understanding of the book because, again, we can't read the thing. Mm-hmm. The images seem to, for lack of a better term, bookmark the different sections, which is how we arrived at those six divisions. Right. Yeah, because otherwise it'd just be, you know... Crazy the, all the way down. You know, you can tell exactly. that there's the plant section, because it has plants, and there's a naked lady section, because it had naked ladies. And the stars and with the, naked well, ladies. Well, I'm in a section that just has naked ladies and baths. <laughs> <laughs> no stars, just baths. Okay. All right. That's fair. So, you know, I I did outline the six sections. I want to go into a little more depth here, but I'm going to be pulling from a German archival website regarding the illustrations here called the VIB or the Voynich Information Browser. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Like there's so many websites about this thing. I can imagine. 
Now, the herbal section is dubbed as such be, uh, because there are 112 folios that display one or two plants per page and feature text that we can assume is likely about the plants. So that's what I noticed is that it's like almost half about plants in the mm -hmm, beginning, mm -hmm. only about the plants themselves. And then there's more about like medicinal. So it looks like medicinal uses of the plants, but just the beginning it's a, of a, of 212 pages, a good, almost half is just plant pictures. Plants. Right. And, and again, we generally do not recognize these plants, nor can we read the descriptions if that is indeed what is written on each page. The best theory we have is that they are like contemporaneous herbals of the time, akin to what Nostradamus may have used in his journeys around Italy. If, if we recall our exploration uh, of Nostradamus. Yes, him wandering around as a hedge doctor. Mm-hmm. So for more information about that, listen to our Nostradamus duology released a few months ago. I predict that they will. Ho, ho, ho. Yes, indeed. I... That's terrible. I apologize. <laughs> now, the second section comprises 21 folios and features circular illustrations with astronomical and astrological symbols referred to as the astronomical section. Some of these are identifiable, but some of these seem a little off. You know, this is really kind of starting to sound like if I wrote a book about stuff I didn't know a goddamn thing about. <laughs> so, so regarding some depictions of the zodiacal uh, constellations, each image is accompanied by around 30 mostly nude females holding up what appear to be some kind of labels. God damn it. <laughs> it's like the chicks that come on between rounds in a fight. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, these labels could signify stars or other cosmic bodies. Additionally, some of these diagrams are foldouts. Yep, like in Playboy. Exactly. Now, the third section, which is perhaps the strangest, uh, strangest is the balanological section. All right, and this is a new word for me. Yeah. Which seems to be comprised of 20 folios. Do you gentlemen know what balneo balneotherapy is? Uh, has this got to do with hay bales? No. no what do you think, Mike? No idea. All right. Well, balneotherapy is the treatment of diseases and conditions through bathing. So think that's, mineral waters and therapy spas. So that's the section I'm in currently looking yes. at. Yes. Can I, can I describe? I want to paint a word picture of the page I'm looking oh, at. Oh, please. By all <laughs> means. So this text, is going to be great. There's text all over it. But at the very top, there looks to be two pine cones in either opposing corner. Okay. That are producing water going through segmented pipes <laughs> okay. down to a pool that has seven lady, naked ladies in it. Uh-huh. So yeah. that the water is filling that pool. And then the water from that pool is draining down into another pool full of eight naked ladies. So. Well, it so goes from locations of low concentration to high concentration. So, so they're, so these pine cones are watering seven naked ladies, which are in turn watering eight naked ladies. Okay. So they, I feel bad for these eight gals because they're having to, you know, stew in these other sevens broth. <laughs> God, this is the weirdest bone broth you, I've ever you, heard of. You know what it reminds me of? All right. So we're all familiar That's, with Dr. Seuss and his fantastical contraptions. Yes. But he was also very, very horny. <laughs> yes. Oh, his his horny women, his horny naked lady book. Yeah, so, like, this sounds like Dr. Seuss just, like, did another secret book or something. Yeah. 
in so, his old age. If anyone's curious, it's page 141 or image 141 <laughs> in the uh, digital Which, collection. There will be a link in the mm-hmm. uh, the article. I, I keep hearing Mike right Mike uh, right clicking and muttering "save as," so I'm <laughs> I'm interested in this. <laughs> Mike, what page was that again? 140. What? 141. <laughs> 140. I don't have a 141. What the hell? Go to uh, the probably on the PDF browser. Oh, right, or right, right, right. Okay. Just, the My little, bad. The little thing you could type One, in. 141. 41. See, see how accurate my description was. It is definitely chunks of... Those are colanders. They look like pine cones to me. No, no. The pine cones are pissing into uh, colanders. No, well, yeah, they look kind of, I, I described them as segmented pipes. P- colanders don't have, they're very cylindrical. Colanders aren't cylindrical. Do you think this guy was like Nostradamus and just predicted Esther Williams movies? Maybe. <laughs> they, Maybe they, it was uh, bathwater, like, you know, Gamer Girl bathwater. Oh, um, yeah. It's and, Belle Delphine. <laughs> and does have labels <laughs> next to him, like. Isola yeah. bathwater of the 15th century. <laughs> no, no. One pool says uh, hot chicks. The other one says more hot chicks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, could, maybe this was like, you know, just a horny like teenager. I don't know. Right? That like saw it. That like, saw this some, is a lot, a lot. Saw for a some teenager. grandmas. No, this is a, if this is a horny teenager, he would not have had time to write this. Because mm-hmm. of masturbating. Well, no, he's 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 writing the stuff because you know he has to have some justification for the the naked grandmas. Oh, he did this. Yeah, he you wrote know, it's, it. It's it, like sorry, it's like Playboy. You know, you read it for the articles. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm saying he drew and then he wrote in the post nut clarity. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, this section has the largest concentration <laughs> of nude women illustrations. <laughs> Depicting them in all manner of pools or tubs connected by pipes, and the water seems to flow from one page to the next. If you take a look, it seems like the water is literally moving from one page to the next. Now look, as artists, you and me, David, you Mm -hmm. have to admit that that is a pretty neat concept for a book, having the water going from page to page, right? Oh yeah, yeah. I think, I, you know, I I like it. You know, it's it's cool. Like, it's a little like, why are they all naked and bathing together? But also it's like, I don't have an issue with that. That's true. <laughs> so, oh, oh yes, I apparently I already gave away one of my jokes earlier. I had a note here. I was thinking manuscript girl bathwater available on Patreon. So, <laughs> yeah, but the uh, the bath the manuscript girl is going to be Mike. <laughs> so you can get Mike's bathwater. Oh, it'll make I just got the two two worst <laughs> words. Mike soup. A lot of, <laughs> oh, actually, you know what? That might taste good. I don't know. There's a lot of ladies like standing in water funnels, too. Yeah, I saw that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, you ready to move on to the next let's, section? Let's move away from the naked ladies. Mike, <laughs> Mike I'm sorry. We got to move on or we're never going to finish. I know. Okay. I did. <laughs> so the fourth finish section that. is the cosmological section which consists of 13 folios. It seems to be comprised of circular designs like the astronomical portfolio. Still, it's a little more unusual, and at one point has a map depicting abstract cosmological bodies, castles, and maybe even a volcano. I have no idea here. This is a weird one. It may be Mordor. (laughs) I'm just saying, Um, it might be Mordor. 
It could be. It could be, man. Like, it could be, like, maybe Elvish script or something. I, I don't yeah, fucking I know. I see the, the castle kind of thing, and it's also weird because the text is... It's the first page I've seen where the text is not all written, you know, top to bottom. It has, like, text along the left side that's written, you know, up and down, mm-hmm. and on the right side, too. So it's basically it's, a, a box of text, like you know, text runs up one side across the top, down the other side, yeah, and upside down across the bottom. Well, like you, you could tell it's upside down because that little loopy H thing has the loops on the bottom instead of the top. And also, like it's page uh, one fifty seven, if you're curious. Well, I'm looking at one fifty six, and he's got text going in a circle around stuff. This is really oh, yeah. interesting. It's mm-hmm. a very oh yeah, he has a circle where it's the same way where it's. Mm-hmm up and down and left to right and upside down. Yeah. It, this book, like the further you get into this it, is, it's like this onion of insanity. Maybe, maybe <laughs> this, maybe this was like the, the, the 14 slash 1500s version of dead leaves. <laughs> you know, could be, could be. I've been, all, I've always meant to try to read that, but you know, I, mm-hmm. I need to buy a copy first. It's but. marble hornets. No. Uh, let's uh, yeah. <laughs> So, so the fifth section, known as the pharmaceutical, comprises 34 folios and looks to be depictions of the types of medicinal drawings of the time, including depictions of apothecary jars. It also has some of the more recognizable plant life in the text. Right. Mm. Um, again, pretty straightforward. Now, the final section is known as the recipes, more or less or sometimes the stars section and has 22 folios of short broken up text and drawings of stars and flowers in the margin. I'm willing to wager. This is where the Colonel got the 11 herbs and spices more than likely. <laughs> he just got it out of a dark tome. Yep. It's yeah, the best way to get all your fast food stuff. That's where, that's where Dave Thomas got the square patties from actually, is he read them in the, he read about it in the Necronomicon. Uh, it should have been non-Euclidean patties then. <laughs> well, you know, if you fall down onto a Wendy's hamburger, you disappear into another dimension. <laughs> oh, I was able to do a non-Euclidean geometry joke. I appreciate that. <laughs> okay. The angles so, on this hamburger are all wrong. Right. <laughs> so, so you know, the question is like, what is all this for? Again, many theories about what the shit this thing is comes down to herbal and biological sections. <laughs> With the additions of the healing bath sections, which we assume that's what they are, we can reasonably assume it's a a pharmacopoeia um, regarding early medicine, but the inconsistencies within raise so many questions. Hmm. So, I I don't know, do you you gentlemen have an idea, like a theory about what this thing could have been used for before we move on? I've got two, but I am definitely saving them for the end. Hmm. Okay. But... Uh, I, I mean, that's a good guess about the uh, pharmacopoeia. Yeah, because we know that there are a lot of doctors traveling around constructing I mean, things like that. So in in that sense, I mean, so you said it was, it, it has nothing that disproves it being some form of language, right? Yeah, so far. Right. So it could be like a hedge doctor's like book. Mm-hmm. That he, you know, wrote to keep his, you know, his stuff down, but he wrote in a way that precluded other people from stealing it. 
Mm -hmm. And I, I'm going to talk about that because I have a theory about all this that I'm mm -hmm. going to share, but you're, you're very close to what I'm going for. Same here. So I, I think what we'll do is we'll kind of talk about like the, uh, the trail of ownership of this text and into the recent developments regarding it. Right, right, right. So one of my favorite things about researching this fucking book is that it can basically drive people nuts and derail their careers. I bet. It, it's like the fucking Necronomicon in that way. <laughs> Roll for sanity and take 1d100 sanity points if you fail. That's a Call of Cthulhu <laughs> RPG reference for those that don't know. <laughs> so so I'm, I'm going to quote a segment from an article about the manuscript posted on undark.org. Can I just say that may be the best URL I've ever heard? It, it looks to be a pretty fun site. Um, so physicist Andreas Schinner recounted, uh, recounted a rumor that the Voynich manuscript can be, quote, pure poison, unquote, for a scholarly career, because when studying the manuscript, there's always, quote, an easy option to make a ridiculous mistake. <laughs> the academic world is a jungle. Schinner, who first applied statistical analytics to the manuscript more than a decade ago, wrote in an email, quote, and like any other, like in any jungle, it is not recommended to show even potential weakness. So don't do this fucking book. Yeah. And we're, we're going to see a little bit of that uh, happen, especially recently. So yeah. The book is identifiably European due to characteristics in its design and techniques, but for the most part, its early history is unknown. I'm going to convey a little bit about the history of the book, and up front, I need to admit that a lot of this is derived from translations of letters, at least regarding the earliest history of the book. Now, Rene Zanbergen's website, thevoynich.nu, mm -hmm. uh, has been invaluable here because he has translations of these letters. And this is a guy that is... Not a historian, but is yeah, a scientist. Yeah, he, he's basically like a rocket scientist, basically. He, he, he uh, has a PhD in, like, orbital analytics or something like that. But he, you know, you know, you know nerds. They, they get these, like, wild hairs and, like, follow yeah. these rabbit trails and that sort of thing. No, no, I have no idea what you're talking about. No idea. Not, so <laughs> yeah, I know. never like gotten interested 50 episodes in, of this. Yeah, I've <laughs> never gotten interested in something and started a fucking podcast about it. So you could say this just kind of piqued his interest, so it's his hobby. Yeah. 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 But uh, the fact that he is uh, referenced in many other articles, because as I was going through and finding articles about this, uh, he's been referenced a few times because, again, he's done a lot of interesting archival work regarding this. Mm -hmm. So the first record of ownership we have was George Barish, a 17th century alchemist from Prague. Okay. Now, the book sat on his shelf for years and was a curiosity to him. Now, in a letter to Jesuit scholar, uh, uh, Athanasius Kircher. That's a hell he of a name. Right, right. Some of these <laughs> names just drive me nuts, man. Athanasius. Athanasius. Like, am, I, am I pronouncing that right? It looks it like It looks am. like Athanasius to me. Yeah. So, Jesuit scholar. i to name their kid Athanasius. Oh, that's happening. <laughs> so so uh, he writes a letter to this Jesu uh, Jesuit scholar and he uh, and then Barish uh, describes the text as being a quote sphinx and reached out to Kircher specifically because the Collegio Romano published an Egyptian dictionary and Kircher worked there. Okay. Now do know that this dictionary would have been wholly inaccurate as this predated the discovery of the Rosetta Stone. God damn, this sounds like Joseph Smith doing the same thing 
uh, saying if, when they found some tablets, and he said, well, this is in corrupted Egyptian, and I can translate it. Then, like, mm-hmm. five years later, they found the Rosetta Stone. Yeah, because there's been all these different periods where, like, it's like someone has, like, a new uh, new uh, dictionary of Egyptian. It's like, well, no, you, you don't. You don't. You don't. <laughs> you Not until the Rosetta Stone. Yes. Um, but, you know, Barish also assumed the book had, like, an Egyptian or, quote, oriental origin, given his usage of the word sphinx here. Hmm. So this is the earliest record we have of actual discussion regarding the manuscript, where we have a written discussion about the nature of this thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, I seem to remember for a long time people uh, talking about it was a recent hoax, like is in possibly in the 1920s or 30s. So it's just good to have some background here going further back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like we know that this thing has been around at least until uh, at least uh, the uh, 17th century. That put it right. in like 1600s. Yes, which is great. Yeah. I'm just glad. Mm-hmm. It's good so to not have a crowd was, of Turin situation is all I'm saying. Oh, yeah. So the book would have been like 100 to 150 years old for this guy at the time. Right. So so Kircher wanted this book, but Barish refused to give it up. On his death, though, Barish's book was passed to his friend Jan Merrick Marcy, a rector at Charles University in Prague. Later, Marcy would send the book to Kircher, who was a friend of Marcy. Now, can I just say, rector damn near killed her. <laughs> Thanks, Kissel. Not- um, <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> um, so we have a little bit of oh, we have a wrinkle here, one of many that's going to pop up. When Marcy sent the book, it also included a cover letter in Latin dated to 1665 or 1666. It's hard to tell. Um, So I'm going to turn to a write-up from the blog Medieval Musings from David Jackson. Now, the first half of the letter just conveys the history of exchange between these three men, but the second half has an interesting development regarding the chain of ownership. I'm going to quote directly from David Jackson's translation. Quote, Dr. Raphael, the Czech language tutor of King Ferdinand III, as they both then were, once told me that the said book belonged to Emperor Rudolf and that he had presented 600 ducats to the messenger who brought him the book. He, Raphael, uh, thought that the author was Roger Bacon, the Englishman. I suspend my judgment on that matter. You be the judge of what you think about it. I can my- I commend myself to your favor, etc., etc. Why is so, everything Bacon? Right. Uh, there's there's some yeah there's some big names dropped in there. This right. apparently so this is interesting, but like more contemporary views discredit this claim from Jan Merrick Marcy, but not before the Voynich. Uh, uh, the Voynich uh, of the manuscript's namesake, because there is a person named Voynich who's going to come along. Right. He took this claim at face value. Yes. That it belonged to uh, King Rudolph. Yeah. Uh, and and, and yeah. Bacon wrote it. Yeah. So uh, the Voynich who's going to come along later, who, uh, spoiler alert, he's really cool. Um, he <laughs> took this claim at face value. Yeah. Mike. Yeah. You want Bacon now, don't you? Because I know mm. I do. I look, look, you never have to ask if you think at like 8 a.m. in the morning when I'm still asleep, you think, does Mike want bacon? The answer he wants is yes. bacon. If you woke me up with a plate of bacon, I'd be like, all right, I'm not mad. I'm having bacon. <laughs> you got to bear that in mind now. When that, uh, That's the strategy. Yeah. When that's we do, do this road trip. Bacon. Yep. Bacon. 
<laughs> okay, so for the next two centuries, it is likely that the book was stored in the Collegio Romano until the annexation of the Papal States by Victor Emmanuel II of Italy in 1870. As with worries about any incoming regime, many of the texts were confiscated and whisked away into private collections, which could explain how the manuscript would be found later. So we've got about 200 years of history here. Uh, there is the uh, the annexation of the Papal States, everything like that. It right. gets into a private collection. So. In 1903, books that had been part of private collections that were still linked to the Collegio Romano were floating around in Rome at the time. Now, many of these books were sold to the Vatican Library to raise some money, um, and the sale of this script, uh, this manuscript, occurred in 1912, but it didn't go to the Vatican. Interesting. Now, do we know why? Because it was purchased by a private collector and antique book dealer, Wilfred Voynich. Good name. Mm-hmm. He would spend seven years trying to work out this puzzling book, and the book would largely be remembered in his name. Right. So I think I think the uh, Vatican didn't take it because they couldn't tell what the fuck it was. They didn't want this so, devil book. So, no, no, they just didn't know. It's like, we, we can't tell what this is, so we don't want to put it in our secret vault. The uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, next to the time machine. Well, we, yeah, we don't want it next to the chrono visor. We don't want uh, uh, Archbishop Zipnak to you know read it and get <laughs> weird ideas because it could be his language. <laughs> oh, Archbishop Zipnak. Yep. <laughs> so we're not going to have time to cover Wilfred in detail. Uh, but he was born on October 31st, 1865, in New York, and was an antiquarian, bibliophile, Polish revolutionary, and my new hero. <laughs> like, born on Halloween, Polish revolutionary, antiquarian, bibliophile, that's great. Yeah, um, this, this sounds like a, a pulp book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would suggest looking him, uh, looking him up. His Wikipedia uh, entry paints a very exciting life. He seems like a very cool uh, guy. Um now, I think we should do a Patreon episode about him at some point. I, well, I was just about to say we have got to do a Patreon episode about this guy. This this sounds like a lot of fun. And, and it's interesting because he has some connections to some other important figures. If you say so, Aleister Crowley. Uh, yeah, a little bit in, in, in the sense that he's like connected to all these like weird different studies. So okay. when he died in 1930, his widow... Ethel, author of The Gadfly, what, really? and daughter of mm-hmm, and daughter of mathematician George Boole. Wait, like as in the term Boolean? Yes. What the fuck? She, she took possession of the manuscript. Now, it, it, it changes hands a couple more times, but would ultimately end up at Yale University as a donation in 1969. 69. Yeah. Nice. So as far as theories go about the text, there have always been accusations of it being a hoax. Right, as it would. Right. Still, most dating seems to lend support to this thing being the real deal with periodic editions, but likely originating in the 15th century. So, again, extremely undecipherable with suggestions ranging from it being a constructed language or a cipher or shorthand. I was thinking so that. 
Mm -hmm. Some even posit that the thing is a practical joke or the creation of a madman. I don't... Mm, okay, I was about to say, I don't know that a madman would have the sort of gumption to write this whole thing, and I realized, yeah, yeah, they fucking would. Yeah, right? I, I would say it's definitely a long way to go for a lame joke. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. I don't... Joke. Yeah. So, Just, still, in our, in our final segment here, we're going to talk about how, how all this shit keeps getting disproven and nobody can solve this fucker. <laughs> But but so far, what do you gentlemen think of our journey so far? I think it's interesting and mysterious. I'm I'm staring at these words, thinking maybe I can uh, figure it out. Which <laughs> no, I know you I fool! Can't. Don't do it. Exactly. Don't do I'm it. Like, don't. It'll ruin me. Now, on the plus side, you don't have a reputation in academics to ruin, so go for it. But but here's the thing: it's like just a private citizen. I think that's the problem. It's so tantalizingly. Like you look at it, it's like surely it can't be that hard to figure out. But the the centuries of people ruining their lives trying to figure it out proves you otherwise. It's daunting, isn't it? It's mm -hmm. no, it's not daunting. It's the opposite, actually. I think it's inviting. inviting. You're looking at it, going, I I know this. This this should be something that's not too hard to figure out. But you know, maybe maybe. But but that's like I said, the. It. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Is that that's why I think a spell. That's, that's why so many people have like looked at this and gone hog wild with it because mm -hmm. like surely I can figure this out, but no. It, it reminds it reminds me of Knives Out. You know, Detective Blank. Uh, he's like, you know, it's such a it's such a mystery, but it compels me though. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Like the 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 form of the letters looks so familiar. Right. It's like almost, it's like a memory of guess, a dream. I guess the thing is, it's like, you know, from that time you're used to like a lot of script, but this is you right. know, very separated letters. They're not. Yeah. It, it's like, is that and an again, a? Is that, that's an the, X. But and and if someone was making this up like on the fly, you know, you would expect to see a lot of inconsistencies, but it's just the level of consistency and all of this is just bizarre. Yeah. If if I had to hazard a guess, I would say there's probably a lot of like garbage in here. Like some of this probably isn't is is just, you know, uh gibberish. Like mm -hmm. and then whoever wrote it would know that uh you know to ignore those parts for some somehow, but some of it's probably real. You know, one of our uh, one of our listeners, uh, Darth Plato, is really good at doing ciphers. And I kind of want to throw the book no, at him and see if he can do it. No, out. don't do it. He's going to go insane. <laughs> oh man, he's already crazy. He's got a flag podcast. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of which, you should listen to that. Kevin yes, was on last week. Absolutely, listen to Flagged for Content. It's a fantastic show. I wonder if anyone's <laughs> thrown AI at this. Uh, we're going to get to that. Are okay. we? Okay, great. Well, let's, mm -hmm. let's, so, yeah. so, so, you know, there are many claims about the text. And I want to convey a few of the more interesting ones. Mm -hmm. Now, my favorite is the concept of this being a case of glossolalia. Do you guys know what this is? I can't even pronounce that. So it's, it's glossolalia. Glossolalia. What is that? That, that has, oh, hon, let me think based on 
Something to do with glossaries or language. Glo- oh, it's it's glazing stuff. It gives it a gloss. <laughs> oh, that's what they do at uh, Krispy Kreme when they yes. send the donuts under the waterfall. Yeah, that's the glossolalia. Yeah, the glossolalia machine. Yes, that's it exactly. Okay, we figured that out. Perfect. That lost right. language. So you're you're right about it having invol- uh, involving language. I think gloss or gloss uh, something is like Latin for tongue. Yes, I. I this took, might this might clue you into where we're going with this I, tongue piercing. I took a year of Latin and failed it, so you know. <laughs> sense that, Sounds familiar familiar enough. Yeah. yeah, sure. Why not? Okay, so Glossary. in 2004, Gary Kennedy and Rob Churchill theorized on their book, The Voynich Manuscript, that the book might be the choreographical equivalent, or I'm sorry, choreographical equivalent of speaking in tongues as it has a seemingly stream of conscious quality to it. Mm, so like automatic writing. Mm-hmm. And also like, you know, Credit to them for calling their book the Voyage Manuscript. Yeah, sons of bitches. That's like a great way to get it. I mean, like, I'm going to look up the Voyage. Son of a bitch. Yeah. But yeah, so it's well played, uh, choreographical. Sirs. Choreographical, not choreographical. Choreographical, choreographical is the process of writing. Right. So, so yeah, when you say automatic writing, it's a lot like that. Yeah. Which, for those that don't know, automatic writing is when the... uh, If you've seen the last Indiana Jones movie, it's basically a person is writing and it's not under their control. Like, they're channeling someone else. Okay, so I have a a less shitty pop culture reference then. Oh, god Uh, damn it. The movie The Changeling during the seance when the the psychic lady... Uh, okay, number one, that's an excellent movie. Everybody needs to watch that movie. But okay. yes, uh, I was gonna say, we, we said, don't talk about the last Indiana Jones. You said, you said less shitty, but it's like, is it is it really less shitty when no one's seen it? Ooh, it's a good movie, unlike the last right. Indiana Jones movie. Hey, 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 there's a couple good parts. I, I mean, <laughs> I, I know the, refri- the fr- refrigerator really ruined it for me. It but. didn't bother me as much as it bothered everyone else. What bothered me was God. the inclusion of uh, Shia LaBeouf. Supernatural Selection Movie Edition coming yeah, to Patreon. I, yeah. My <laughs> eyes rolled so hard okay. at the refrigerator. I, I get it. That I could see my brains. Okay, well let's <laughs> let's move on before we get into right. a fight. <laughs> so 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 their main support for this claim is referencing structural similarities in the script between the manuscript's letter forms and the work of Hildegard von Bingen, who uh, her work derived from her severe migraine circa the 12th century. That is a hell of a writing thing. Right, and uh I, I didn't have too much of a chance to dive into the history of this person, but this was a uh, a woman in the in the 12th century of all centuries who actually did some important writing regarding, uh, I think, religious texts. Yeah. Which, which um, again, I, I, I didn't get a chance to look it up too much, but like, I guess part of the thing was that she had such severe migraines that she would do like almost this automatic writing sort of thing. That's cool. That's now, weird. Yeah. Right. It, it is very strange. Now, this theory is ultimately impossible to prove, and the authors themselves are not even sure of its validity, but it, I would say it is plausible. Yeah, no, I'm willing to... Sure. Now, we're going to get to the real fun stuff here. Oh, boy. Returning to the earlier article from Undark.org, two figures to note in this story are William and Elizabeth Friedman, who are arguably the founding uh, figures of modern cipher-breaking. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. Mike, so you heard we're, of these we're familiar with them. It sounds a little familiar, but I'm not like intimately familiar with. Okay. I was just curious okay. since this was around World War II, I thought maybe you would have heard of them. Anyway. Oh, yeah. Now, I'm going to go ahead and give you a little refresher here. Sure. So this is from an article, The New Yorker, titled The Unread, The Mystery of the Voynich Manuscript. Quote, perhaps the greatest cryptologist of the modern age, Friedman, led the decipherment of the Japanese Code Purple during the Second World War and helped create the NSA, becoming its first chief cryptologist. Further, quote, in the closing days of the Second World War, William and Elizabeth Friedman gathered a group of experts waiting, uh, awaiting demobilization, and together they devoted an enormous amount of time to deciphering the Voynich. But after efforts spanning three decades, Friedman declared that the cracking of the manuscript's code was impossible. Jesus. So, so these are the people who cracked ciphers in World War II, and they could not crack the Voynich manuscript. That's... God damn. I mean, right. And all it took was a book written by a guy that may have had a stroke. Right. Well, and it's, it's just, it's, it's amazing because these are, these are all these geniuses who crack all these codes during the second world war, just sitting around yeah. waiting to so, go home. And they're like, Oh, we'll take it on as a project. And then boom, 30 years later. It. Nope. We give up. Well, so code breaking, relies a lot on you know just just like a you know with the rosetta stone we didn't mm -hmm. could not crack the egyptian language written language until we had until it we in had two other languages yeah so just and the same thing with uh the uh the, the nazi codes mm -hmm. it we you need a a rosetta stone you need a common thing mm -hmm. and i can't think of any instances where a code has been broken just through brute force through no uh information that start that led to a clue i mean so i'm like, sure in what, in very simple ciphers it's now, possible but. what you're saying essentially is for this not enough data i'm saying that even the best code breakers would need some clue about the code they're working on. Sure. I'm like, no, I, so, gotcha. I don't, I, I, I'm not very intimately familiar with the, uh, the Japanese, you know, purple codes. I don't know if they had a, uh, sort of, a you know, piece of information that helped them crack that but right right and that's why like if you ever try to decipher something like you're given like a cipher for fun you have to have some sort of key mm -hmm. letter or key reference to work right. with like a one-time pad like what number stations yeah and my guess is maybe they use some of those latin words that were found as part of that process but it just didn't work because and those have been added later so those could be red herrings, yeah, because like you said, they, they may have been mm -hmm. added later. But if they've hyper-focused on that, they just could have, or or just saw that as the only commonality to work upon, mm -hmm. they they wouldn't have led to any fruitful you know, deciphering. Right. You know, you know, but there's other things that I feel like would have factored in there as well. So, for example, in the astronomical and astrological sections, if you have these labels next to identifiable True. zodiac yeah. signs, maybe that was in the process. But even then, it's just like 30 years and nothing. 
Yeah. yeah. I mean, I could see that. Yeah. Um, but then again, those those could be red herrings, or they could be mm-hmm. saying something completely different than just mm-hmm. their their name. Right. Yeah. So so we can see how frustrating this is going to be for people for for decades now. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so this also brings up an interesting point to all of this. I'm going to be quoting Undark.org again. Okay. Qu- quote: During World War One, the Freedmen's had to perform their calculations by hand, mm-hmm. but in the following decades, IBM's punch card tabulating machines made the process much faster. Working with the National Security Agency when it was formed in the 1950s, William and other codebreakers pursued an interest in the medieval manuscript. There's even a copy of it in the NSA's internal library. Oh, wow. Because the manuscript was unclassified, Cold War codebreakers could use it to illustrate cutting-edge computational analysis techniques to their colleagues without using real Soviet messages. Hmm. Huh. Interesting. Which is a... Right. It's just a very it's kind of like when we talked about Nostradamus and his predictions being used in World War Two uh-huh. uh, and how it led to different like developments. It's it just it's weird how useful this book became, even though we have no clue what the fuck it's talking about. Right. Now, you know, shit is bonkers when even mathematicians become involved. Oh, yeah. Anytime mathematicians become involved, you're pretty much going into the realm of magic. Yep. At this point, we are strictly dealing with stuff post-2000. Okay. Awesome. So, in 2007, physicist Andreas Schinner felt compelled to explore this thing and, using statistical tools, suggested the text was generated from a stochastic randomization process and not a natural language. What? Now, in 2019, Schinner co-authored a paper proposing a potential algorithm for the text that indicates that the text is gibberish. Look, that's probably true, and I just really don't want it to be. However, a team of scientists in Brazil and Germany in 2013, which I find Brazil and Germany working together on something to be kind of sus. I was going to say, man, the only (laughs) way it'd be worse is if it was Argentina. Argentina. (laughs) Um, uh, But in 2013, they concluded the text was likely written of an actual language by using, again, statistical analysis. Hmm. Now, in 2016, a computer scientist at the University of Alberta and their grad student utilized machine learning to look at 400 translations of the manuscript. Their proposal is that it is jumbled up Hebrew in a strange script-like form. <sighs> it's getting crazier, man. It's getting crazier. I, man, <laughs> you got to the Jews all again. <laughs> you know, it, it, it always comes back to them. So. I swear we're going to have to... Anyway, go on. <laughs> in 2017... Ars Technica had a post that suggested the Voynich manuscript had been deciphered, but two days later published a follow-up that the translation was flawed, and a whole host of experts had pounced at the shoddy translation work. Goddamn. Now, in this situation, researcher Nicholas Gibbs, publisher of the original paper that Ars Technica posted about, had proposed that the manuscript was a treatise on women's health but also based his conclusion on other work that predates his own. 
Also, I mean, just drawn to naked ladies all over the damn so, thing. So, so here's here's a problem I'm hearing with a lot of these is that they're they're basing it on either previous translations or previous works, where mm-hmm. that is just in. If any of the stuff they're incorporating is wrong, you're just like compounding errors. Yeah, right. I mean, you would. I think any anyone studying this would have to. You know, ignore everything that came before exactly unless yeah. they can unless there's something they can like the, the throwing out the latin that's inserted in mm-hmm. probably could you know go with that but other than that you know you, any previous thing it's just you just ha- can't guarantee any of it's right right yeah right well, and then here's the other thing about Nicholas Gibbs. He is also a television screenwriter. Oh, God um, damn it. And my guess is he was working on some sort of History Channel pseudoscience show. Probably. Like mm-hmm. ancient if, bullshit on if, history. If I was going to do something like this, I, you know, something about this, I would basically uh, take. How many letters do you say there are in this? 25 or 26, 25. right? 20, so, so, 20 to 25. So. Okay. Okay, that does because there are penmanship problems. Is this this how how it's written? Is this one letter or another letter? But mm-hmm. so even at twenty six letters, you could one for one substitute, you know, our regular alphabet, and probably set a machine try, to try to like figure it out. Basically, mm-hmm. you know, take each instance of a letter and turn it into a one of our regular letters regular right well regular. it's kind of like how sometimes they'll take like uh runes like yeah. uh viking runes and like tier for t for example yeah. right yeah so but to make it easier for a machine to process because trying to ocr this you would get nowhere mm-hmm. <laughs> but just and you could do even do da- different data sets you can do one for like well, where it, what you think is the same letter is that and do it also one for where these are different it's letters. Not. Yeah. But, and then just have that try to crunch it. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and at least look for, you know, patterns and, you know, against known languages, known uh, syntax, known, you know, like you said, there's no punctuation, but just try to find any commonalities. Right. Mm-hmm. And and I'm no so, language expert, so that's just my off the cuff, you know, supposition. Right, and I I think you're right on with a lot of this because it seems to be like what a lot of people are doing as well. Yeah. Um. But you know, also like if you have 400 translations, it wouldn't hurt to see like if there are any commonalities. True. Between them, yeah. like if there are recognizable well, patterns or forms. One of the ones you mentioned, they said they. Uh, looked at 400 translations and the mm-hmm. best they came up with was jumbled up Hebrew to quote mm-hmm. you, uh, which I don't, I don't know. Right. So uh, in 2020, a Turkish engineer and his son theorized the script based on their analysis is a phonetic transcription of medieval Turkish. That sounds a little biased. Yeah, see, I'm not exactly sure how they arrive at that because I I couldn't recognize the characters for the life of me. It's Turkish because well, we're Turkish. Well, so he's saying a phonet- they're saying a phonetic translation. So basically, it would be made up characters that they're using to, you know, and it, it's not a 
bad take, but it does, like yeah. you said, Kevin, sounds a little biased. Yeah. It just happens to be Turkish, which we're Turkish. Yeah. I mean, right. It's, it's Mississippian, goddammit. The whole thing's written in Mississippian. <laughs> but this right know, here is about grits. It, 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 it's not a bad take that it could be a phonetic pigeon. Well, not pigeon, but, you know. Pigeon. I'm, I'm not, not pigeon, but pigeon. Oh, mm-hmm. but okay. pigeon is yeah. not the right word I was looking for. Yeah. But a, f- a phonetic, you know, uh, what am I looking for? Uh, you know, basically, you know, how when they write it out in the dictionary. Right, yeah. It's a no, phonetic mm-hmm. representation. I, I, I gotcha, I gotcha. Or um, like me, when I do my roll sheet for my class, I have to yeah. put some of the names phonetically. So it's like, okay, <laughs> yeah. three E's to get the long E sound here. Yeah. Oh, so, I mean, it, 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 it's not a bad take, but no. it's a ba- it's, it's a questionable take. take. But I haven't okay. seen a whole lot of support for it, and I've yeah. not seen a lot of updates regarding it. Exactly. Right. Now, also in 2020, as noted in the article, has Yale's mysterious Voynich manuscript finally been deciphered? It seems like there's an article like that every three years. <laughs> yeah. A German Egyptologist named Rainer Hennig suggested that the script is a form of Hebrew. However, this claim has been made before. All right. Obviously. First off. Bad form it being a Jewish guy, a German guy, <laughs> a German guy identifying Hebrew. I just don't like where that's going. Secondly, secondly, can we, as anomalists and researchers, just well stop with the Jews for one conspiracy? I mean, that's all I'm asking. I, I'm not. I would not discount the Hebrew thing. You know who said right. it's not Hebrew? Because the um, Hebrews. Uh, well, so. The the thing is, it was a, I mean, if this was a, you know, if we're talking about like a hedge doctor or something, what if it was a Jewish hedge doctor that was mm-hmm. using a Jewish, you know, you know, using a Hebrew, some form of, you know, cipher. Maybe. Right. And then also, you know, the, the, with the, 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 the Jewish people and where they fit in society throughout history, they've always kind of been on the margins in that way, filling in for the jobs that nobody are, else wanted. Yeah. So like the idea of it Sounds coming familiar. to, yeah. So, so the idea of it coming back to like Hebrew and the Jewish people, it's not that far-fetched, but also, like, every time someone su- suggests that it's, hey, it's Hebrew, it's like, well, probably not based on this discovery. I'm yeah. I'm also just tired of it always has to come back to that. It's, I don't know. It's just yeah. me. No, I mean, I understand. Yeah, there's you a know, lot of... Uh, I get tired of the anti-Semitism. There's a lot And I know of- this isn't being anti-Semitic, but goddamn, boys. <laughs> but, you know, 50 years down the line, maybe it leads to it. Sure. Right. So 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 the problem with this discovery in 2020 that I just mentioned, the uh, gentleman uh, Hannig had not finished his translation at the time of the <laughs> announcement. A couple of weeks uh. later, an Israeli crypto expert named Moshe Rubin published a rebuke expecting, uh, expressing skepticism of the theory. And I have an excellent breakdown of Rubin's issues in a post from scienceblogs.de. Again, you can find that in the document. And David, mm-hmm. this kind of stuff must drive you nuts as a teacher. I, I do like to see like people like pointing out like, well, no, you didn't do your research because I can always like point to that as an example of now, if you don't want to be publicly lambasted, mm-hmm. you know, do your research. Yeah. Now, 
As for the most recent developments, the latest that I have is an article published in August of last year, mm-hmm. year uh, positing, mm-hmm, positing the usage of statistics to crack the manuscript, uh, a road we just went down a few minutes ago. Again, nothing really new about that. Right. Yeah. They're, they're using the same techniques for the most part over and over. Well, no, just so it's kind of what we were discussed, like, you know, trying to statistically... No, I, I got gotcha. you. I understand. Like the 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 frequency. How many of times does this and, letter turn up? Yeah. I, I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. Mm-hmm. So we've kind of arrived to the end of our journey with the uh, the history and the theories and that sort of thing. But like again, I just want to. What do you guys think this thing is? All right, because I have my theory. Do, do you mind if I go with mine go real quick? Yeah. All right. So this really kind of feels like, on some level, a weird version of Henry Darger who wrote a 15,000-page fantasy book while he was working as a hospital custodian. but mm. it, And it wasn't published until somebody discovered it in his apartment after he died. Now, imagine that, but with Tolkien's flair for languages. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, you can read more about Henry Darger. I've included a link in the document. Uh but I mean, this technically could be a, re- a source book for an RPG. Mm, too many plants. Al- alternately, a, a botanist RPG. Alternately, <laughs> this could be like aphasia, but in a written form. You're familiar with aphasia, where you know what you're saying, but your mm. mouth will not put those words out. Bruce Willis. Yes, exactly. Yes, yeah. it's like you're trying to say hello. My name is Kevin, but what comes out is potato hamdinger. Blah 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 blah. Mm. Now, now I do want to go back to the idea of a botanist RPG because, from what I've heard, that really grows on you. Oh, so <laughs> uh, roll for damage on that one. <laughs> I don't know. Sorry, so, couldn't resist. So I think it's too structured. I guess for aphasia. Yeah, like like why if it's aphasia, why all the plant drawings? Why, sure, I know, but I mean, why the sections? That's why I was saying why alternately. The, why the numbering of pages? Well, like it made sense. To, well, the thing is, he thought he was writing. Well, but his language, but you know, but no, that's actually not really my theory. I'm just throwing that out there as an yeah. option. It, my, it is interesting, though. Yeah, my theory is it's sort of like I don't know, I don't know. I've got a better theory, but. We'll talk about it later because it kind of folds into David's, I think. Okay, Mike. Well, uh, Mike, I'm I'm, I'm going to stick by my uh, hedge doctor, you know, writing his stuff down but hiding it from his uh, competitors. Okay, and I, I think that's a good place for me to kind of like jump yeah. in and give you my theory. Yeah, please do. So, obviously, I am not an expert here. Mm-hmm. But based on the research done for this episode and a certain previous series we've done, I have a little thought experiment here. Okay. So I do believe that this was a pharmacological text. Right. As I was reading up on this topic, I was continually reminded of our Nostradamus series, specifically his phase as a wanderer out of medical school, creating notes and studying plants and creating medications. Right. Yeah. Now, his wanderings coincided with a few outbreaks of the Black Death, Mm -hmm. and we also know that the social status of doctors was mixed at best, and anti-Semitism was an issue at the time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
We also knew that some medical knowledge would have been considered heretical due to various instances of inquisitorial arrest and after seeing some of Nostradamus's own brushes with the church for thought crime. Right. So I don't think this is the writing of Nostradamus. I'm going to state oh, that. Thank God. Okay, that's not where I'm going with this. <laughs> I don't, we don't need a grand unification theory of Nostradamus. <laughs> That would be fantastic, but um, no, but, still. But, I, but it is the Count St. Germain. Oh, uh, God. <laughs> so so still, his lifestyle was not unique, and I would posit that the Voynich manuscript could potentially be the shorthand notes of a doctor wanting to conduct important research, but also maintain a level of privacy and a layer of safety from the authorities. Right. So, so I, 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 mm-hmm. I, I find it funny that we basically came to the same conclusion yeah i Mm -hmm. think it's funny all three of us kind of have something similar so and you know i think this would be the case because as we learn in our episodes about nostradamus astrology was also part of medical thinking Mm -hmm. at the time Mm -hmm. and the manuscript is full of uh like astronomical references and even some of the treatments for the black plague uh if i if i recall correctly involved bathing which would explain why there's an entire section on bathing well bathing but so a interesting kind of like Middle East connection, you know, there's whereas the Europeans were very Filthy? against bathing. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. The uh the people of the Arab nations were very much pro bathing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, could be an interesting connection with you know, they there was the Turkey connection, which uh I don't quite see, but <laughs> along with the Hebrew connection, maybe, you know, some, mm-hmm. you know, sure. Okay. There. Yeah. Like you could literally have this guy who is wandering the world, um, yeah. like really putting in the, the study here. But I also think, you know, a cipher could be at play. Maybe I There's also think that something. madness or drug use is not off the table. You know, oh, to, yeah. to study these things like plants, a physician at the time would have had to have served as an apothecary, yeah. and maybe he poisoned himself or potentially tripped out on what he was working on. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, no doubt. So, I think this is a really good track. I like this theory. I want to throw this in there, though. What if we're looking at a lost language of the alchemists? Something mm. with a translation handed down orally for generations that was eventually lost and nev- now we'll never know or be able to translate it. Well, then that could that could tie into a uh, phonetic exactly. transcription. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's why we haven't translated it because it's a language we don't know because it's passed down like just from, you know, like a... The Secret Order of Alchemists or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that that's Did, it for the Voynich yeah. Manuscript so far. You know what? I think we just solved it. Yeah. Well, I mean, we, <laughs> I, yeah. we haven't translated it, but no, we, but we solved it. everything. Yeah, we figured it out, the origins, completely. We know exactly like, like, honestly, where it came from. Uh, pay us. <laughs> like, honestly, like, it looks like all, all these clues that we've kind of... Uh, pulled together here from all these different sources you know I, I i doubt that this is a new theory that it was like well obviously like it being a, a pharmacological text is not a right. new theory no yeah, but no, that's but, pretty on the nose but our exploration of it i feel is pretty novel in well, that also, regard we've got such a broad range of knowledge about various things that i think Maybe they're not as open to other ideas as they should yeah, I, be. I, I would think a bunch of code breaker nerds 
probably <laughs> uh would have been hyper focused on just one aspect of it. Yeah. Maybe the like you know, pattern recognition. The pattern yeah, recognition, exactly. the uh you know, they, they, they've been doing it for, you know, several years now. So they, they, they think mm-hmm. they know what they're doing. So they're applying the same uh statistical models to it and just coming up with nothing because well, you know, human language is pretty shitty. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean look yeah. at English. <laughs> Funny. Um, yeah. Oh, but you know, also <laughs> for me, it, it was the Nostradamus thing. Cause I, yeah. again, yeah. it's weird how it kind of came back to Nostradamus for me, but yeah. like so many parallels here. Well, for what it's worth, once you mentioned it, I saw it. I was like, and honestly, it makes the most sense out of any theory we've heard. Yeah. So I don't know, man. I don't know. That's where we know. stand on the Voynich manuscript that's, so far. That's our, I have, uh, I have one closing thought on it, though. What's that? Mm-hmm. Well, in also, in, you know, times of dire need, it could uh, serve as this dude's spank bank. Oh. <laughs> With those it gets drawings, a really lonely on the road. You yes. just don't know. I'm sitting here. I drew my own titties. It's so bad. But I'm going to spank it anyway. <laughs> I'm glad we ended on something vulgar. Okay. Yeah. So. <laughs> Only way to end it. Uh, we got some questions, and then we're going to go with some wrap-up stuff I wanted to talk about. So let's go with questions, boys. All right. All right, first, Sam asked us, uh, what are y'all's opinions on books of power? I frankly don't know any better way to put it than that, and I'm just going to assume you know what I mean. Kevin? Also, what's everyone, every host's favorite book? Okay, Kevin, can you enlighten me? I have no idea what the books of power are unless Sam means grimoire. I I would think uh, like the book of the law by Aleister Crowley might be a you'd consider it a book of power or the book of Enoch or the or or the 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 lower keys of Solomon. Mm, Yes, yes. I I really don't know. I my (laughs) opinion on the books of power, if that's what you're talking about, is uh, it's. Uh, it's all made up and the points don't matter. Mm. Uh, I'm going to have a more interesting answer here. I think regarding that, um, I do believe that, uh, written word does carry a magical energy to a degree. Okay. Um, you know, again, writing, writing reality. Uh, I, I do want to point out that I am going to be writing a series of episodes about comic books as magical spells. Uh, I'll just, I'll let you know that Right. right now. And I kind of feel like I want to do one about chaos magic, having attempted it, mm-hmm. and uh, I don't recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> no, too much masturbating over sigils. Um, let's not go into that <laughs> until the episode. Yeah, we'll go. Well, also, you can actually do it by sneezing or farting, and I will tell you, <laughs> I you fart to a candle. I <laughs> farted on a lot of paper. He did not. He he has never eaten so many beans in his life. It's God, not even. Dude, why like, does your library smell so bad? I fart on the paper to make the spells work. No, uh, we'll talk about it when we get there. But uh, the other part of that question is, uh, what's everybody's favorite book? Mm. Like single uh, book so or uh, you know, uh, like even out of a series. Mm. Mm. I, I have an answer. Okay, what's yours? Uh, Michael Chabon wrote a book called The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay, and that book is just, like, right up my fucking alley. It's, okay. Uh, 
beautiful, beautiful novel about a couple of Jewish kids making uh, superhero comics during the Golden Age. So uh, it's kind of like the Superman story. Right, but it's not so much a super-powered character, but it's about an escape artist. It, it has stuff like about Harry Houdini okay. and escapism, and oh, it is it is wonderful. And what's this so book good. called again? The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay. Okay, I'm going to get you to like send me a link to where I can read that or buy oh, it. Oh, hell yeah. I, I love to spread the gospel out. They even did a comic book miniseries. Oh, that's cool, um, based uh, on the comic? It, uh, based on... It, it's set in the same continuity of... Uh, the people who created the the comic book character, but this is like decades later in the 2000s when someone's trying to revive the character oh, based on the comic that they read as a kid. Okay. Yeah, um, it's so good. So I'm, good. Mine, I'm going to say uh, Robert Jordan's The Eye of the World, the first book it. of the Can't world. Can't take time. mine. Motherfucker, <laughs> you knew it was going to be that. Well, what'd you think mine was going to be? The Eye of the World by Robert Jordan, the first book of the Wheel of Time. Yeah. Yeah, we're both kind of... But I... Kevin, Kevin, Kevin. You read it first. I read it first. You read it first. It was mine first. <laughs> God damn it. Don't act like Way to you, be a hipster about it, Jesus. Don't <laughs> act like I stole your woman. I did. <laughs> well, you didn't steal, but, you know, we're sharing. We're sh- Ooh, like Rand. <laughs> the book is Rand and we're his bitches. I mean, you know, I was, I was basically, you know the age of the characters and right. so were you and yeah you know, it just kind of resonated and yeah know. i'm gonna say actually you know what i'm gonna say it's either that or the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy that's oh, you, know, you can't do close. two because then i have to do another one. it's one or the other i'm just saying oh okay, okay. I, I would definitely say eye of the world is yeah higher no, for I've, me. I've read the hitchhiker's guide too much and uh i'm gonna go with the eye of the world though yeah supernatural selection book club coming at you yeah in your face. All right, and our last question is from Ghost Forge. Do you think the ubiquitousness of concepts like the golden rule or karma across global cultures is indicative of meddling by non-humans to make us less feral? This so like, kind of fits in with the topic we had the week before last, the... Um Oh, the, 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 the sky gods or whatever. Yeah, yeah the, the Anunnaki. Anunnaki uh, basically yeah. Im, uh, imposing uh-huh. uh, morality on us. Mm-hmm. Uh, I kind of feel like it's, uh, it's like an ingrained thing on some level that you're just supposed to be good to people on some level, like of your tribe at any rate. Yeah. Um, we're, we're, a tribal, think... we're a tribal animal. Yeah, I mean, I think in small enough groups, the the golden you know, rule applies. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, mm-hmm. it's not; it's it's just mutually beneficial. Like, right, right. It, yes. Obviously, right. it benefits you when they do it to you. Yeah, and it benefits yeah. you because in the long run, they're going to be favorable towards you. Right. Altruism is something that like an intelligent species uh, species ends up developing. I'm watching a documentary about like the origins of the human species and uh, they have like CGI cool. ape people, you know, and it's like, you know, one of them bringing home food and handing it to like a weaker, sicker one and that sort of thing. It's just because you want someone to take care of you when you need it, you end up doing that. And that altruism and is something it, that just is natural. Yeah. And a part of it is showing others how you want to be treated as an mm-hmm. individual. 
and hoping that it catches on on some level. But also, I think altruism is kind of a, a lie because you even if you're doing it for, quote, altruistic reasons, it makes you feel better. So there, there is, is that still, dopamine hit, yeah. There is still gain from doing good. Thank you, friends. But, but you know, doing something good and it <laughs> Mike's, making you feel Mike's good. Like, thank you isn't... for ruining altruism. No, no, I'm, I'm saying thank you because uh, they they address that topic in the the hit comedy sitcom Friends. Oh, okay. Mm. Sorry, my bad. Yeah. No, no, but even then, like, even if you gain something, like, I I feel like altruism is altruism because the main motivation is to do something nice for someone else. Yeah. Like, you know, is the benefit to you floating in the back of your mind? Most sure. likely. We all think of like, we're, we're all selfish to a degree. Yes. Like we all think about how is this going to affect me, but it's the weighing of the two things, how it's going to affect you and how it's going to affect other people. And if you choose the other people as the main motivator, I think that's where the altruism lies. I agree. Mm-hmm. Um, in the spirit of the the question, though, I certainly hope so that like you know, like aliens gave us morals or something. That'd be cool. Like the grand, just like something gave us morals. I, I you know, no. on the one hand, they're corn out cow assholes, but on the other <laughs> hand, like don't be dicks to each other. Actually, <laughs> be excellent to each other and give me that cow butt. I I hope the other way. I hope it's just something like ingrained in us, yeah, in our genetics. Well, mm. still, do you think just... that was programmed in by the oh, no. uh, the 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 Sky Ashtari High Command? No. I, I think it's... If you look at a lot of social animals, it mm-hmm. they, they have such, you know... Like chimps. Yeah, chimps or, you know, even lions, things yeah, like that. Yeah. They, they'll compete for some... They compete mostly, for resources, but they share it in their group. Not only resources, a mostly the competition seems to be, you know, in mating, which makes sense in a uh, Darwinist, you know, sense that, you know, being the first and the most prolific to uh, pass on your genes, but having a strong social, a strong knit social group just, you know, benefits everybody. Benefits all. Yeah. Yeah. So, um... Yeah. All right. Well, I I don't I hope it's not the sky gods. <laughs> and but, you know, but I don't I don't think it's to make us less feral. I kind of feel like the feral thing comes from uh being part of a larger and larger world we're, and we're still not mentally adapted to be a global species. We we are we're trying the least the least feral we could be right now, and there's still selfish, you know. Yeah. Thought. I mean, look look at our the American government. You know, you know, this the, the leaders of the American government. This reminds me of something. Hmm. Uh, speaking hmm. of humanity acting like this, I was watching a uh, video on Trek culture on YouTube, and uh, they were talking about one of the fan theories is that uh, the real world that we live in is actually the mirror universe in Star Trek. We're the bad guys. <laughs> that that unfortunately makes a lot of sense. Doesn't it, though? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, kind of, I the mean, Terran Empire. Yeah. I mean, it's it, it could go either way. I mean, we were still kind of early enough that, you know, we haven't hit that, uh, what would you call it? Not 
not turning point, but that uh, point of no return. There, there's a flashpoint divergence point. Yeah, yeah. I don't where, know, man. Where you, you know, know, once World War Three starts, we'll have to f- start figuring out shit real quick. Yeah, yeah. Hey, <laughs> did, uh, how did you guys do during the eugenics war? By the way, oh, when was that? Uh, Nineteen ninety six. Um, I was in high school, so or no, I just graduated. Yeah, I was I was at Roses, so I was doing pretty bad. Yeah, I got yeah. a Super Nintendo that year, so oh, all things dude. considered, it was pretty good. That's pretty bitching. <laughs> Not gonna lie, that's pretty bitching. Yep. So, uh, well, thank you for the questions, guys. As always, uh, if you're out there listening, don't forget you can join us on our Discord by going to supernatpod.rocks and uh, click the link at the top. That says Discord. We would love to have you, and you can come hang out with Ghost Forge and Sam and Darth Plato and Kick Acetron and us and tons of other people. And you can ask us questions every week. Uh, now, before we go on, uh, we would like to invite you to uh, rate and review our podcast on whatever your podcatcher of choice is, if possible. I know mostly it's Apple. Podcasts. Yeah, I was going to say, I think Apple's the only one where you can Yeah, really so if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review and a uh, rating. Five stars, please. Well, I, I would say be honest. Be I mean, honest, mm-hmm. yes. You know, if if you think there's stuff we could improve on, yeah. please do. And uh, if you write a review, we will read re- your review at the top of the episode after it goes up. <laughs> I'll check weekly. And we will read your review on the show. And we've got a couple for next week. You know, conversely, if you have a favorite episode, tweet out your favorite episode with a comment about why you like it. Yeah, absolutely. We uh, we would love to hear your thoughts on the show so far. Um, so, yeah, this has been episode 51. One. 51. Thank you. Kind of is this the start of season two? This is technically the beginning of season two. Uh, I mean, we're not uh, going to change. We're starting strong. We're starting strong. Yeah, we're not changing uh, the numbering or anything, but this is definitely season two. And uh, I'm glad we got the new logo ready in time for season two. And uh, we're going to have a lot of fun. Now, uh, there may be an episode next week. There may not. It depends. We're going to be going to Dragon Con next week, me and Mike will. So... <laughs> Uh, Mike and I. That's the yeah. Proper. I, I, please, I'm in California. I can't go. I know, but please it's, it's don't grammar Nazi me. Well, you know, <laughs> you're just making yourself more important than me. Well, I'm the one talking, so. Well, Mike and I, fine. <laughs> uh, so anyway, we'll be at Dragon Con. Um, I'll have stickers and stuff like that. So we'll, we'll hide yeah. them, and you know. Yeah, like all great. the extract stuff. We'll yeah, we're usually, we're gonna be at some of the extract. There's, there's stuff. usually tables Kevin set up with like. Yeah, I such saw that. Things. We'll uh, we'll leave Just, some stickers and business cards, and, uh, and you if know. you found us that way, welcome and yes. hope hope you you know enjoy the stay or you know if you if not fuck off go go to hell no. <laughs> go write Eat a, a two star review on Apple. What's it? <laughs> leave go a, write a two star review on Apple. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's about it for this week. Uh, again, find all the fun stuff you can do involving us at supernatpod.rocks. 
You can find us on social media at SupernatPod on Twitter. We do have a Facebook page if you look up Supernatural Selection Podcast. Uh, I'm starting to make some more posts there again. Uh, I just hate Facebook so damn bad. Um, you can find David on Twitter at HPComic, H-P-K-O-M-I-C. He has so mm-hmm. many projects, including comics, and he's writing for Haunted MTL. So mm-hmm. check that out as well. Mike is here every week with us. He is our, rec- he is our, our science officer. Uh that's a bit strong, but I'll take it. I'm going to get you some foam Spock ears. You, you can't find me anywhere because I'm a ghost. I'm a specter. I leave no footprints on the web. He's a ninja. Because I'm on the dark web. You're not on the dark web. I'm not on the dark He's web. He's not on the dark web at all. Anyway, thank you for listening. I we'll don't see need you. drugs. Yeah, that's right. You don't need drugs or any other illicit pornography. You got the Voynich Manuscript. Yeah, you can just go through there and masturbate yeah. to what looks like a uh, junior high schooler. Maybe maybe I'll find the answers to deciphering it in post-nut clarity. <laughs> that wouldn't surprise me in the least. Maybe that's what it takes. I think it was written in post-nut clarity and you have to decipher maybe, maybe it Maybe you have to channel organ energy in order to unlock its secrets. Ooh, hey. Mike, you want to borrow my organ crystal? Uh, no. The one that that lady gave me at work? Because I don't know where it's been. Uh, it's been in a drawer here for months. What? I don't know what she did with it. Oh, God, I touched it. She she probably pre-charged it for you. Shut Kevin. the fuck <laughs> up. Thank you for listening. That's it for this week. We'll see you next time with some more fun. So until then, stay safe and stay frosty. Goodbye. Later. It all comes back to Nostradamus. In a post-nut clear. On masturbation. Or masturbating in